The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso. Tonight on Fast, hitting pause. Stocks tumbling on Wall Street as the S&P 500 snaps a five-day win streak. We'll break down where the market is headed from here. Plus, attention Walmart shoppers, the nation's biggest retailer, reportedly ready for prime time. The big headline that sent that stock soaring today. And later in a bonus hour of Fast Money, we're answering your stock questions. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money and maybe you'll get your answer on the air. We start off tonight with Facebook under fire. The company's top execs meeting with civil rights groups today to discuss the growing ad boycott. Let's get started. Straight to Julia Borson with the details from that meeting. Julia. That's right, Melissa. The organizers of Stop Hate for Profit calling the meeting a disappointment, saying that Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg are not ready to address the hate on their platform and did not respond to the demands of dozens of its largest advertisers. The NAACP, Color of Change, Anti-Defamation League and Free Press saying in a joint statement that Mark Zuckerberg, quote, did not offer any tangible plans on how Facebook will address the rampant discrimination and violent conspiracies on its platform. Instead, he offered a retread of the same old talking points from last week, tweaks around the edges with no details or timelines. The meeting that we just left was a disappointment. Facebook has had our demands in multiple ways, and they showed up to the meeting expecting an A for attendance. Attending alone is not enough. Now, the civil rights groups saying that Facebook did not address their list of demands, saying that Zuckerberg offered no automatic recourse for advertisers whose content runs alongside hateful posts. Um, They said he did not address why Facebook recommends hateful groups and didn't offer any plans on how Facebook will address, quote, rampant disinformation and violent conspiracies. Now, we have reached out to Facebook for a comment. They say they're working to get us a statement. We haven't gotten our hands on it yet. The company has said that it does plan to release the results of its civil rights audit tomorrow morning. So, Melissa, that's certainly something to watch. Julie, Julie, is there any sense from from these groups that the boycott could actually be extended? It was for the month of July. Some advertisers have said through the end of the year, but are they going to formally call for an extended boycott in order to turn up the heat on Facebook? Look, I think it's still too early to say on that. They said that they were, you know, disappointed in this meeting. But it is interesting, Melissa, as you mentioned, that some advertisers are saying that they are suspending advertising indefinitely. Some are doing it through the end of the year. The original call was for a month-long pause. Some people said that July would not be as impactful because it is sort of the, the depths of the summer. But I think it'll be interesting to see how Facebook responds now, especially after those choice words from the organizers, if that perhaps pushes Facebook to take more action. Um, but I think it'll really hinge on the brands and how they feel like they want to respond to Facebook's uh, Facebook's moves now. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson. Uh, let's get to the trade on Facebook. Karen Feinerman, I go to you. You have been a shareholder mm-hmm. in Facebook. Um, the boycotts have, uh, you know, gotten a lot of followers in terms of advertisers joining in. What are you doing with your position now? Uh, well, to this morning I sold some calls, some at the money calls, uh, but I'm definitely still long. 
Uh, I think that the stock opened strongly, maybe a little bit on the TikTok story of, you know, if TikTok is banned in the United States, that's probably good for, you know, the Snap and Facebook and Pinterest of the world. Or, um, but I actually thought they would uh, have a more productive meeting than that. I've got to think that the most disappointed are maybe the advertisers who really want to use Facebook and really need some cover from the company to address some of their constituents who don't want them to use Facebook until Facebook, you know, talks the talk and walks the walk. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned. I still don't think it's crazy expensive, though. It's imperative for so many advertisers. I think they will try to find a way around it, but... I feel like we're, we're visiting sort of Cambridge Analytica 2.0. It sounds terrible. It mm -hmm. is terrible for a while. And then it sort of fades. Maybe the crescendo is when, uh, I think it's July 27th, we'll see Zuckerberg on the Hill again. I don't know. Um, I'm a little concerned. I took a little money off the table. It seems that as long as these groups walk away disappointed with Facebook's response or maybe lack of response might be a better way of putting it, Guy, that advertisers have no choice but to continue their boycott at this point for fear of looking hypocritical. I mean, yeah. you can't donate money to these groups and then turn around and say, you know, what? Ah, that's not my problem anymore. Let's put in the for the ads in, in August. Right. So the operative word clearly coming out of that meeting was disappointed. And I can't believe if you're an advertiser, uh, you, you get a lot of confidence based on that one word alone. It's fascinating. You know, Facebook, when this started up, remember, it was REI, North Face and Patagonia. And I think one other advertiser on a Tuesday, I think the stock was trading around 240. And we had a whole conversation about it saying those companies are the first. They won't be the last by the Monday, the 29th, the stock had traded down to 207, if you recall, and reversed. And on that day, we said, look, you know, say what you want about Facebook, but the stock seems impervious here. Big reversal probably trades higher and tests those levels again of 240. Well, here we are. I would say you have to sell it into earnings on the 29th. Now they're in a no-win situation, in my opinion, into that hearing and into earnings at the end of the month. So taking profits at these levels based on that one more disappointing to me, makes a lot of sense. They would have a lot of wood to chop, so to speak, Grasso, to uh, actually come up with some sort of a solution, some sort of um, something that would satisfy these groups and, and allow advertisers to come on back in. I think you hit it on the head. How can they satisfy? That's the problem that they're trying to navigate right now. They don't want to be the arbiter of truth. So how do they satisfy both sides? The answer is they can't. So they pigeonhole themselves right now uh, into doing nothing. But I think that if the groups that want them to do something can come up with something very tangible and say, look, these are, the, these are the posts that we want you to remove, and it's truly um, non-arguable, non that's the word I'm looking for, for Facebook to defend it, then I think you have to do something. But I don't think we're there yet. And to Guy's point... The stock is bulletproof. I think you just got to stay on board. It's like whack-a-mole, though, Tim. I mean, <laughs> a group can come up with five things that they don't want to see in ads, and then, and then you know, there are going to be five other things that pop up, too. I mean, this has got to be sort of a construct, a framework, which Facebook can implement. And, and that's a tricky thing yeah. to figure out by the next earnings call. I play whack-a-mole very unsuccessfully in my yard in actual life. <laughs> Um, and, I, and I think you have a dynamic here with Facebook where Karen pointed out they've been doing this for, 
for uh, two years, maybe four years. Um, but but and she also discussed the value, not expensive. OK, let's just be really clear. Let's look at 2021. Consensus is anywhere from 10 to 1050 a share. You throw a twenty five dollar multiple, a twenty five times multiple, which is not expensive. Um, and you know, we can do that math. Right. So two fifty a share traded to two forty seven intraday today, as Guy and Steve talked about, which is that, you know, we've all we've talked about for the last four or five sessions until today was the Nasdaq's absurd run. Well, guess who outperformed the Nasdaq by 400 basis points in the last five days? Facebook was up 11.2 percent during that time. So um, Facebook, no history of changing their policies for uh, for business relationships. Facebook, clearly, really no, no history of being, you know, necessarily brand friendly. Facebook with very early innings in terms of their ability to to really uh, deliver ad targeting and and the ability to, to to really best position and give analytics on on the ad platform that we know is the biggest in social media. So uh, right now it's very difficult. And, and I, I if anything, my tone last week was uh, I'd be wary, um, but I, I still would be wary. But I you know, it's very clear um, Facebook has a business model, has four different properties that are under monetized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's still a lot of value there. All right. Let's bring in Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend Gene Munster for more on this. Gene, great to have you with us. I think the last time we spoke about Facebook, it was just on the heels of, of a lot of big brands joining in on, on this ad boycott. Um, now with these groups walking away from this meeting with, with Zuckerberg disappointed, does this, is this problem much worse in your view? It is. I think it underscores the context of these three ways that are coming at the company and, and maybe even taking a step back, why the meeting was a disappointment today is a good place to start. Facebook was well aware of what the topics were going into the meeting. The reason why it did not produce any substance is that if it did, it would lure them more into being a publisher. And that, of course, brings with it regulation. That is the second wave that this company is going to hit. That could be months away or over the next several years. The first wave is the boycotts. Uh, mentioned the second wave around potential regulation. And uh, the third is potentially antitrust, how it bundles its products. For example, Instagram would not be Instagram if it wasn't for Facebook. So when I uh, think about the context of the news today, what is to me most significant is reading between the lines and that Facebook understands the amount of pressure on this uh, company is uh, hard to uh, put adjectives around it, uh, but yet they don't make any moves. And the reason is they understand the chess match that is being played here and what the long game is, and they ultimately need to successfully navigate that. And so I think when you put all this together, it's currently a $650 billion market cap. It's near its all-time high. It is uh, a business that has one platform that's over half of its revenue, Facebook, that is arguably toxic. Uh, the second, Instagram, which is you could build uh, businesses on top of it. There's some good that comes along with that. But I think when you put all those elements together in these three ways that are coming at the company, it's hard for me to envision a scenario where the stock continues to outperform. So, Gene, let me give you the fourth wave, potentially the fourth wave. Obviously, ESG investing really, well, it really crippled a lot of these energy companies at the, clearly at the wrong time in their history. Is there a chance that Facebook, which in, I think, 220 or so ETFs, 170 of which have Facebook as one of their top 15 holdings, if ESG comes into the equation, uh, how potentially damaging could that be to the stock? It would be as damaging as being removed from the S&P 500. 
And so I think that it is material. I think that that risk uh, is, in fact, a fourth wave and one that has rarely been enumerated in all these uh, conversations, but is uh, something that, that uh, will become a bigger topic. I can share this much is that internally, as we think about our, our research and we think about the future and think about where Facebook and social plays into it, that topic uh, in terms of socially uh, proper investing and particularly Facebook and Twitter has been an internal topic uh, for us. So I'm sure that it is uh, uh, quietly going to emerge as that fourth wave. Gene, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. So given your hesitation and concerns about Facebook, where do you think the stock should be trading? I am uh, somewhat uh, reluctant to put an actual target on it. And part of the reason is that it's up to investors. It's not a convenient answer out of that. I'm uh, an industry analyst, industry observer, uh, longtime uh, uh, tech uh, person. But I think that uh, it's hard for me to envision that with all these headwinds that the multiple continues to be where it's at. And so, uh, Karen, unfortunately, the best answer I can give you is uh, at where it is today or lower in the future. Gene, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Gene Munster, Loop Ventures. I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. I mean, from Gene, who is an observer of the industry, although a longtime analyst in the space, uh, Guy Dami. But um, we are in an environment where big cap tech is in favor. And we just had an analyst note today on Tesla. I'm not changing the subject, but the analyst note from t on Tesla from Barclays said that the, this, the analyst says that the stock is fundamentally overvalued. But he can't think of any reasons why the shares wouldn't move any move higher from here. We're in that kind of market uh, when it comes to some of these tech stocks. And I'm wondering if you think that that Facebook gets the benefit of, of that in terms of protecting the multiple it has right now. Yeah, well, it's clearly gotten the benefit of that until it doesn't. And that's not meant to be glib. And this is, has nothing to do with Apple, the company. But, you know, you go back, I think, three or four months ago, when Apple was trading at the time an all-time high of 323, it was announced on our show. Apple came out and said they're having problems in China. It was, should have been a huge announcement that should have knocked the stock down probably anywhere from 8 to 10 percent over the few days after. On that Monday, the stock opened down, I think, 3.5%, 4%. .5%. By Tuesday of that week, it was making a new all-time high. And my comment there was, you know what, this passive investing looks past all those headlines. And that's my comment now. But you know what? I'm telling you, this ESG thing is going to catch on, and I'm glad Gene spoke about it. And I think Facebook really has to be concerned. So to go back to my earlier point, you've had a huge bounce off of 207, right back to 240. I think you have to be taking money off the table in earnings at the end of the month. I mean, if you look at ESG, just quickly, Karen, I mean, it would get two dings. It's got a dual-class share structure, and now on the social front, it may not be perceived positively either. Mm -hmm. Well, the dual-class share structure is definitely not changing anytime soon. Yeah. I think you, you hit upon it earlier. They have to come up with a construct that, you know, that sort of takes them out of the loop in some ways that can allow the parties, um, the boycotters, to say, all right, they're addressing it in a, in a way that is acceptable to us. Now, that's a very difficult needle to thread, but I think that's the way out for them. And, and Jean also said that they knew what was going to happen in this meeting. I'm surprised they didn't have something uh, already that they would have believed would have appeased the group um, 
that was disappointing. Right. Let's get to the broader markets now. Stocks tumbling today with all the major averages closing near their lows of the session. S&P and Nasdaq both snapping a five-day winning streak. Steve Grasso, what would you make of this uh, selling, particularly late in the session, with some underperforming groups like banks? You know, we've had, well, first of all, banks have their hands tied with buybacks and with dividends. Just think about what this week is, though. It's a vacation week. We had Russell. We had rebalancing. We had uh, Options X. So when you look at the market as a whole, the market needs a little bit of a breather. When I'm looking at a chart of the S&P, the 200-day moving average is 30.25. That would be a nice check back. If we check back to the 200-day moving average, I think that would give the bears a little bit of solace in getting back in this market. But I don't think we're out of momentum just yet, Melissa. I think you have to stay the path of the bulls. Tim? Yeah, this, this is a very small pullback after what's been uh, what's felt like a euphoric run. Um, and the Nasdaq still outperforming the S&P. So, you know, put those numbers closer uh, or above 22 percent outperformance year to date. It, none of this is a major surprise. We, we should have taken a breath. Uh, we've got earnings next week. Thankfully, we're going to start to bottom up this. Remember, first first quarter earnings were, you know, uh, let, let's count how many companies pull their guidance. Let's count how many companies start to uh, look to 2022 for normalized earnings. Um, what you know what? It's really the score sheet that we're going to put on companies now. Uh, and I think investors are ready to be a little bit more aggressive and a little less forgiving. Um, but we, we need to get through earnings again. The, the top down, uh, has, we know it's been dominated by Fed and, and COVID vaccine meets uh, you know, fatality, hospitalizations, and also actually where there's some improvement. Um, that's the story. But, but if you look at today's price action, it was very consistent with where we've been. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you've had uh, technology and, and those names that are at least somehow linked to uh, enterprise stay-at-home that are outperforming industrial bank uh, anything that resembles value uh, has been has been underperforming. We've seen wicked rotations during this post-COVID or this current COVID uh, dynamic, and I think we will again. But I, I think investors at this point, you know, let's let's look to next week. Um, we're going to begin hearing the banks. We're going to begin hearing about loan provisions. That's really important relative to the overall tone of how healthy the credit markets are. All right. Our next guest is telling investors to brace for a potentially cruel summer. Steve Sosnick is the chief strategist at Interactive Brokers. Steve, great to have you with us. Great. Thank you. What sort of pullback are you anticipating? Thank you. Well, Right now, what I'm looking for is, the, you know, as, as we start, as you guys started to address, I think we're looking at a lot of hurdles in July. And the problem that you have is certain sectors, certain indices are so far ahead of their long term of their trend lines, even um, that there's a lot to overcome. Um, you're going to have pressure on cash flows next week as people pay their taxes. People had a very good 2019. They have to pay taxes on that now. Um, that coincides with earnings week and expiration week. There's a lot for the market to digest. And I think what we're looking at here is, and, and when you look at indices like the NASDAQ, NDX, which are you know about 20% above their, above their longer term moving averages, um, there's a lot of room for disappointment potentially. And that's the sort of thing that worries me as a natural hedger. The disappointment though, Steve, that you're forecasting is, is pretty steep. I mean, you're saying 15 to 20% decline on the NASDAQ, a 10 to 15% pullback in the S&P 500. And this is all in your view, uh, within the summer? Well, it's all possible this summer. I'm not okay. necessarily, remember, I, I'm talking about this as a risk of a pullback, not necessarily something that's going to happen imminently. 
Um, right now, the momentum is so strong, it's very hard to bet against that. But what I would be looking for here is the potential that something could trigger this. You've got taxes, you've got COVID risk coming on, you've got a fiscal cliff at the end of the month. Um, you've got a Fed that despite all the rhetoric about how accommodative they are, the ba Fed balance sheets actually shrunk over the last three weeks. Um, and so the Fed is, if not putting their foot on the accelerator, they're not, they certainly don't have their foot on the accelerator. They've actually taken it off the accelerator. They haven't put it on the brakes, but this is all the stuff the market has to overcome. And we actually find out for the first time in a long time how these companies are doing. Steve, it's Guy. Thanks for being here. So the reversal in the NASDAQ today, I, I understand that it's, it's one day we've seen these before and they've, they've you know, turned out to be pretty much nothing. But anything in the reversal in the NASDAQ today sort of stand out to you? Amazon, for me, was pretty interesting. Well, there's a, there's a lot in there, Guy. I mean, I think the fact that Facebook outperformed through all this or that Tesla just remains immune from everything, that, that's got some risk in and of itself. I think the problem that you have that's a bigger sense is just how relentless the flows are and momentum, when it turns, it, 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 it's your friend on the way up, but it's nasty on the way down. I don't necessarily know what that trigger is. I've laid out the potential triggers and anyone could be the trigger. Um, but what stands out to me yet again was that NASDAQ outperformed on the way down. I think until or unless you start to see that pattern break, you can argue that the momentum play is still in effect. All right, Steve, great to speak with you. Thank you for joining us. Steve Sosnick Thank you. of uh, Interactive Brokers. Tim Seymour, what do you think? I mean, you mentioned earnings season. That's going to be a biggie. And, and of course, I would imagine we're going to get no guidance again. We're not going to get guidance again. Um, uh, it, it's the companies that can actually give you some visibility, though. They don't have to give you the numbers, but they have to tell you uh, what's going on with reopening. I think the markets are going to respond to that. Um, think about some of the other macro factors. We, we've had better industrial numbers around the world. We've had slightly better services numbers. Uh, the dollar is weaker. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, and, and volatility is down. Um, so we've we've got a backdrop here where the Fed, if anything, was out there reiterating support today, in my view. Um, and, and until that changes, it's very difficult to see equities having a major correction. But but we're we're at one of those periods that we we're at two weeks ago. We've had multiple guy references, you know, these 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 one or two day sell offs um, in the midst of what is a, a liquidity flood or, or have been opportunities to reload. If anything, uh, sentiment right now, especially in the retail community, is is more geared towards the bearish side. And, and the pain trade, I still think, goes higher. Um, Thirty two hundred on the S&P. Lots of resistance, lots of new ground to break. We don't have to do it next week. And earnings are ultimately going to be uh, a more difficult road in 2Q. All right. Coming up, turbulence in the friendly skies as United warns tens of thousands of workers that layoffs may be coming. The full report ahead. Plus, watch out Amazon. Walmart is rolling back prices and possibly launching a prime competitor. The big headline that sent that stock soaring today. And later, you've got questions. We've got answers. Tweet us your burning stock questions at CNBC Fast Money. We'll hit them later in the show. Much more fast straight ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy 
to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of United getting slammed today after the airline warned of layoffs ahead. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the details. Uh, Phil, we sort of knew that layoffs were coming, didn't we? Y'all, we knew, but this was really a stark reminder of just how bad things are in the airline industry. United holding an employee town hall today and being very blunt in saying that tens of thousands of employees will likely be laid off. Now, the company has not issued warn notices, but those warn notices will be coming soon. And when they do, the company will be dramatically becoming a smaller company. Remember, those notices notify employees that you could be part of a possible layoff 60 days down the road. We all know that October 1st is the date when United and all the airlines can lay off employees in large numbers. And again, tens of thousands are likely to be possibly or likely to be laid off at United. Depends on how many people take any employee buyout program, which, by the way, in an 8K this afternoon, Melissa, the company said not enough people are doing it right now. And that's an indication that there will have to be massive layoffs at United. How is the company under pressure? A couple of things uh, stand out in the 8K that they announced today, as well as during the uh, meeting today. Newark near-term bookings down 84%. That's lower than it was just a few weeks ago. August capacity, and this might be noteworthy, down 65%. Remember on July 1st, what, less a week ago, they said that August would be down just 60%. So it appears that they're, they're already dialing back their plans for August, and here's the reason why. COVID-19 quarantines are hurting demand. We're talking about the tri-state area, Chicago, Massachusetts, basically saying to people, you go to Florida, you go to Texas, you come back and you have to quarantine for 14 days. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that people are saying, I'm not going to take that trip. And as a result, the airlines are looking at a rougher than expected July and August. They're going to have to cut thousands of employees come October. They have raised $46 billion in capital. So they are, at least on a liquidity standpoint, they're in decent shape right now. The question is for how long into the fourth quarter and then the first quarter. And that ties into why we're showing you these airline stocks. All five of these airlines today, the Treasury Department said that they have agreed to tentatively taking out a loan from the Treasury Department, though we don't know the amount nor the terms. And these airlines also, by the way, Melissa, they have until September to decide if they're going to take those loans based on the terms that the uh, Treasury Department sets out. And we'll find out those terms likely in the next few days. The percent declines, Phil, that you had in that graphic, August capacity down 64 percent, that's versus 65 percent versus Versus last last year. year. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and, And the noteworthy part of this, Melissa, is that Their press release last week on July 1st was the August schedule was going to be down, you know, 60 percent. So what you're looking at here is them saying we're not even seeing enough to say that we're going to follow through with what we planned a week ago. We have reached out to the company to see if we can get a little better clarification on this. Yeah. Phil, thank you. Phil Uh Karen, you actually uh, were noticing this weakness in the airlines today. Yeah, I mean, you know, what Phil's saying, the, the COVID resurges or things closing back down again, clearly that's bad for them. I think, you know, I always like to look at the bonds and see how they're doing to give us a sense. Um, and so there's some two-year paper, matures in October of 22, trading at 87. So the yield on that is over 10%. So that's, that's not a great thing. Now, it's great that they've been able to raise more money, which they have, both debt. And remember, they did also a billion-plus um, equity offering, I think, in April. So that's helpful in terms of being able to fund the burn 
But in terms of valuation, I know the stock's rallied a lot from the bottom, but the whole enterprise is, is still expensive and, and very sad for the industry. But I just, I, it's, it's too tough. It's too tough right now. It's too hard to, uh, you've got to be really optimistic on them turning things around really quickly and... I, don't, I wouldn't make that bet right here. I think funding the burn is the exact right term, Karen, because United itself had said that by the end of the third quarter, they were hoping that cash burn would go down to $30 million a day, Guy. I don't know if they're on track for $30 million by the end of the third quarter. We, we don't know yet until we hear from them. Um, but this is, yeah. you know, you're, they're getting money in order to literally burn it on these expenses, these very heavy expenses. Just, yeah. And, you know, as you know, hope is not an investment thesis. And to Phil's earlier point, uh, my sense is, and obviously I don't know anything, but I think the, the, the terms from the Treasury Department won't be draconian, but they'll be as close as you can get, is my sense. And I don't think they want to sort of go down that road. You remember when Delta announced uh, they were reducing their pilots from 14,000 to 7,000, the timing for that announcement in terms of the stock couldn't have been much better. The market was sort of cratering. That stock was trading in the high teens. If you remember that day, it traded down to 17 and a half, actually closed higher on the day. And we flagged it for a trade on the long side. Much different now with the S&P now having this huge rally. You saw United go, for, I think, from 18 to 49. Here we are at 32. If you're asking me how to trade the stock, I wait until they report on July 21st. Hope it's a disaster. Hope the stock trades into the high 20s, and then you try to buy it there for a trade. So maybe hope is a strategy in your view. In that case, in that case it is. Um, Grasso, you know, a lot of uh, people at home who yeah. got involved in trading more recently, they've been, they've been trading these beleaguered travel stocks like cruise lines and airlines for bounces. Right. Can you make the case here for a bounce? I think you can make the case because I think that all the bad news is already in a lot of these names. Yes, it can get worse, but I think the market has already quantified that. I think that the airlines are still investable, believe it or not, and so are the cruise lines. All right, coming up, shares uh, of Walmart surging today and reports the retailer is ready to launch an Amazon Prime competitor later this month. So is it time to add Walmart to your cart? We'll debate that next. Plus, should you redecorate your portfolio and make room for Bed Bath & Beyond? We'll tell you about the huge move options traders are expecting with the company reports earnings. Fast Money's back in two. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Walmart surging today in reports that the retail giant is about to launch its Amazon Prime competitor, Walmart Plus. Recode reporting subscription service will launch at 98 bucks a year, offer same-day delivery of groceries and other products, and is set to go live later this month. Um, Karen, this would be huge, and I wonder if this would be uh, competition for Amazon or maybe some other retailers, big box retailers. Yeah. I think this is competition for Amazon, and I think Walmart, you know, has a sort of a lead in the grocery business. Um, so, I really good for them for trying to capitalize on what they've been able to do during the coronavirus shutdown. And um, I think, you know, they've done a really good job getting that online business going. And I think to really be aggressive here makes sense. And it, as a target shareholder. It actually has me thinking about, you know what, maybe I would rather be in Walmart now instead of Target. It's a little bit more expensive, but I want to give them the benefit of the doubt for what they've been able to do. I wonder if finally that Walmart, Amazon, um, enormous, enormous P.E. multiple divergence might start to narrow just the tiniest bit. But I think for Target, maybe this is the, an, another same-day competitor beside Amazon. So might Target need to do the same thing? And might that be expensive for them? So I think that at the premium that Walmart is to target, uh, it's worth it to trade into Walmart here. All right, let's get more about this potential subscription service and what it could mean for Walmart. Joining us is Oppenheimer's Rupesh Parikh. Rupesh, great to have you with us. Um, how, how do you view this kind of service when it comes to Walmart? I mean, if you take a look at Amazon's business, for instance, this is a low-margin business. There are lots of costs involved in terms of the infrastructure to do all these sorts of deliveries, especially two-hour deliveries. Would this be a, a positive for Walmart? Yeah, so I do think it is a positive. So as I look at this offering, I think it's for, for Walmart, it's both a defensive and an offensive move. So clearly on the defensive front, Amazon rolled out free two-hour delivery late last year to all their Prime members. So I think with this offering, now Walmart can better compete with Amazon because they can also offer that free delivery. And then I think in the offensive front, now having same de delivery, similar to what Karen was saying, I think other players such as Target, I think Walmart can take share from them. And, you know, on the grocery side, if you look at your pure conventional grocers such as Kroger, they don't offer free delivery currently. So I think this is also a play to garner more share in the grocery category. According to this report from Recode Rupesh, uh, another offering uh, that would be part of the subscription would be video entertainment. It sounds like they could be going down this rabbit hole of potential spending. And I'm wondering if this maybe satisfies no category of shareholder. Maybe you lose the value shareholder who might be in Walmart for the sort of the steady, um, you know, uh, steady earnings and, and dependable uh, performance. And you don't satisfy the growth investors who are looking for something like an Amazon. Yeah, so I think that, that part of the offering is still very unclear. I think Walmart is more likely to partner with someone on the video side versus invest billions of dollars in creating their own video service. So I would expect their partnership in some type of asset light type arrangement. I mean, it's still unclear how they're, how they're going to go about doing it. So I think that's really going to be down the road. I think at first they'll, they'll launch the offering and all the discounts, and over time they'll add these type of perks to make it more attractive. Hey, Rupesh, Tim Seymour, um, thanks for joining us. What what multiple? Because, um, you know, we talk about Walmart.com. And, and if I think about uh, the ability they have to move more of their business to e-commerce, we've seen in COVID they have a richer uh, online mix. Uh, some of these food trends where they compete on price are only getting better. But it's the dot-com multiple. What, what do I do with it? Yeah, so from a multiple perspective, you know, Walmart is trading at an all-time peak valuation, the mid-20s on, on a PE basis. We think if this, if this is a hit and you start to get more subscription-type revenue, and you actually start to gain you know, more of these stickier customers. And, and the market, I think, would then believe that they're more likely to gain a greater share of their customer's wallet. 
I think you could see further multiple expansion from here. So it's really interesting about Walmart is, I mean, you look at the stock, it's trading at the same level it's trading in late March. And, you know, since then, the market has chased some of the higher beta names, and Walmart has really been left behind even after this rally. So I think at these levels, you're really not paying for this, for this incremental offering. And I think from here, as investors look for defense, I think, I think you will see money start flowing back into Walmart shares. Rupesh, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Rupesh Parikh of Oppenheimer. Uh, Karen started this whole thing with the self, would you rather, Walmart or Target. So I'll just continue yep. with that theme and go to Grasso, the king of the self, would you rather. What do you say, Grasso? <laughs> Target or Walmart? You, you know, it's funny. You, you know, it's funny. That's the first thing that popped out in my mind when she was self, would you rather, and you didn't, and you didn't reprimand her. So when I look at the chart on Walmart, every time this thing has spiked higher, it comes back in. I don't think today is any, any different. I don't think it's any exception. It's impossible to compete with Amazon. I, I, I commend them for trying, but Amazon's going to move to a two-hour delivery for groceries. Uh, it's impossible. So longer term, would you rather I'd go with Amazon? And, um, and I'm going to throw another one in there so you can hit Guy with this. Costco, that's my other one. You want to run the show? I'll leave. I'll walk out of here, walk <laughs> off the set, and you can run the show. Guy, what do you say? Answer Grasso's question. You got another you got another hour, so you can't go anywhere, number one. Number two, in, 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 the, in the game of Walmart, Costco, I'll go Costco. And, and my problem with Walmart here is, do you really want to start um, tweaking the bear that is Amazon? And do you really want to get into a price war in, in a business that the margins aren't particularly great at? So I was actually surprised at how much it rallied today, especially given the tape. Look, the stock topped out at 133 in April. It was 118 yesterday. Uh, my inclination is you got a gift here to take profits if you're long the name. I'm going to go around. I mean, Tim, let, let's pull you in. You have to. An- answer I mean, any I'm, question you want. I'm, Pose a question to yourself I was and say. answer it. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually I'm gonna follow the rules. And as if you asked me just to chime in on the Walmart discussion, Mel, here's what I think about Walmart. Talk about the Walmart flywheel now. We've talked about this with Amazon. Um, and I actually think Walmart totally competes on price. That's what they do. They put people out of business on price. Uh, and they also have the warehouses and the logistics and the infrastructure around the country. So um, this is something we've been talking about with Walmart for a long time. I, who have been, uh, I would say, if anything, I've been bearish on Walmart taking uh, and pulling forward a lot of sales um, because of COVID-19. I think this is very important news. Uh, I think the online shift in this country, as we all know, is going to be in the mid-30s by 2025. Walmart will take more of that than Target will. And this offering gives them the ability to get ahead of all those other bricks and mortars. I like this move. All right, let's stick with retail here. Bed Bath & Beyond reporting earnings after the bell tomorrow. Options traders are betting the stock is due for a huge move when the results cross the tape. Mike Coe is here to break down the action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So Bed Bath Bath & Beyond, we've seen on nearly two times the average daily options volume calls outpacing puts by about two to one. And over the last eight quarters, the stock has moved an average of about 10 percent. That's big, but not as big as the more than 16 percent implied move that the options market is expecting by the end of the week. Now, you would think with all of those calls trading, maybe there were some bullish bets. But actually, when we take a look at those July 13s, looked like several thousand of those were actually sold. So that wasn't a bullish bet so much as fading a big upside move. And the second most active options contract with respect to opening interest today was actually the weekly 10-strike puts. Those were trading for about 65 cents. Put those two trades together, and it does look like the options markets are basically fading the possibility of continued strength. Although, 
I'll play a little bit of the host here, too, and maybe you can ask some of the technicians here whether they think the fact that the stock has regained 50% of its decline from December through April on this most recent rally is another reason you might want to fade the stock here. Do I exi- do, do people see me and hear me? <laughs> show's gotten this, away I mean, from me today, What, what yeah. is going yeah. on? I mean, who wants to chime in? Mike is calling. <laughs> who wants to chime in? Mike Coe says. Guy, you have anything bed, to say? Bed, bed. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. First of all, I pl- I've been playing by the rules the entire evening, number one. And don't discount this. I have no idea what Best Bed Bath & Beyond is going to say. But the fact that now a lot of kids in the universities in this country have just found out that they're not going back to school. I know for a fact Bed Bath & Beyond does a huge business uh-huh. on the back of all these kids returning to schools. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. So they can say what they want for the quarter uh, tomorrow. But they have to forward looking. This is a devastating announcement, I think, for Bed Bath and Beyond. And to Mike's point, 50 percent retracement, take money off the table. There is going to be a glut in America of extra long twin sheets. That's for sure. Um, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe <laughs> for more options action. Check out the full show. That is Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, does NVIDIA have a 15 percent rally ahead? The one Wall Street firm making that bull case today. Plus, what is cooler than being cool? Ice cold storage. Yes, that's a red hot trade right now. The full details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The chip stocks just can't stop ripping higher. NVIDIA hitting an all-time high today after getting a new street-high price target of $460 from Bank of America. Analysts say the stock deserves to be trading at a premium to its peers due to leading long-term growth and bullish trends in the gaming market. That price target about 15% above where NVIDIA closed today. Uh, Grasso, you've been in this. Where are you now? Yep. I'm not in it now, but it deserves the premium. It will continue to get the premium. It's up 69% year-to-date. Came out with a new GPU chip that all the cloud space guys are looking for. All the majors, Microsoft, Baidu, Amazon, uh, Tencent, Alibaba, they're all using it. For them, you you have gaming, as you mentioned, but you also have AI. You also have driverless cars. You also have the connected home. I think that you'll continue to get that multiple and you'll continue to get that premium advantage with NVIDIA. I would still be a buyer of it, and I actually started looking at it again today. Tim? But maybe this is my theme for the show, but what is that multiple? And, and you know, 65 times forward, um, it's really tough. It puts a huge burden on gaming where, like, I agree with with the fundamental prospects here that Steve laid out. And I do think that it puts a major burden. When you look at the cycle uh, for for gaming, it it, it certainly puts them in a pretty good zone. And the five-year outlook for semis, for the most part, is as good as it's looked for the entire sector in a long time. So uh, I don't want to chase NVIDIA here. I do want to buy weakness. I think a lot of people want to buy it. Maybe that keeps it here. But this valuation is tough to support. All right. Coming up, cold investments, hot profits, the under the radar trade as more Americans eat at home. The details straight ahead and coming up at the top of the hour. We are taking your your stock questions. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We'll hit them later on in the show. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Demand is red hot for cold storage as food delivery services like Amazon Fresh and Peapod continue to surge. Diana Olick's got the details. Diana. 
Melissa, to keep up with the new explosive demand from online grocery buying and direct-to-consumer pharmaceuticals, the U.S. needs up to 100 million more square feet of cold storage warehouse space. That's according to CBRE. That's roughly 6,100 new warehouses, like this one being developed by Scout Capital outside Philadelphia. New cold storage needs to be much closer into cities because we all need everything right now. While demand from restaurants has fallen off sharply, demand from supermarkets from online orders is way up. And the average age of a cold storage warehouse is 34 years old, so the whole sector needs an upgrade with more automation. Given what's happened with COVID, you know, we've undergone five to 10 years of change in only a matter of, you know, three to four months. And so it is for sure accelerating the, or will has accelerated the pace of change um, for cold storage. Now, there is just one dedicated cold storage reach. That's AmeriCold. But other big storage companies like Prologis do have the ability for tenants to do a box within a box. That's cold storage in a regular warehouse. Demand, Melissa, really going off the charts now. I can't even imagine. Diana, thank you. Diana Olick. I mean, we are just talking about Walmart offering more services, delivery services. Uh, Karen, can you see investing in this space? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can. I mean, I was trying to think about, all right, what else is there? Who makes those refrigerators for those industrial spaces? Is it a Hussman, which I think is owned by Panasonic, or like a Knight Swift, which is the trucking company that does refrigerated trucking? Um, that's also potentially interesting to me, though, although it's, it's had a bit of a run. But I think this secular change is here to stay for a while. Guy, that's like super classic fast sec second derivative trade coming from Karen. And who, of course it is, because that's what you've come to expect from Karen Feynman over the last decade plus. So, you know, you want to broaden it out a little bit. Obviously, you saw the Postmates deal and you say to yourself, you know, is Grubhub in play here? And they probably still are. And stocks had a huge move to the upside. It's, it's sort of knocking itself up against past resistance. But I think that's a name uh, you can play on a flyer on the back of this entire, you know, this is third derivative. But on the back of what Diana just said, absolutely. All right, up next, final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. What's in a name? Well, check out this tweet from our own Mike Santoli. He wrote, if you're not giving your startup a name starting with S and ending in IFI, I-F-Y, why are you denying yourself certain riches? Mine would be Stultify. Spotify is up 76% this year. Shopify is up 160% percent this year. Guy, Mike is always uh, sage and witty at the same time. He has yeah. a good point, though. I mean, <laughs> these are some pretty staggering runs. No doubt. And if Tim were to be a stock, he would be Stutify. So maybe he could take that public. <laughs> wow. Is there is there a buyer for, for Stutify? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Probably not. But uh, it's probably best we move on from this one. It is, there's a would you rather, I think, embedded in this, Steve Grasso, a Spotify or a Shopify. Well, I've been in Spotify. I bought mm -hmm. it on, uh, on, on, on activity upside uh, call buying. I bought it uh, in low 180s and I sold it at 233 in the, in the middle 230s. I, I think that the beauty of this story was podcasts and everyone thought that Amazon could squash these, this company like a bug and they've proven not to be. Uh, they, they've proven not for that to be the case. So I would uh, probably take a look at take some profits here. I think it's overextended. All right. A guy, I can't believe you, you had Tim speechless even for like five seconds. 
I mean, I, that's never <laughs> happened in the history of Fast Money. So kudos to Guy. Time for the final trade. We'll start with Tim. I had a chance to think about that one. Uh, so a little just for a minute, Steve is studify Walmart. They, the flywheel there, the multiple grows. I like Walmart. Karen. Yeah, I think time to take a little money off the table in Facebook. I sold some at the money calls. Steve Grasso. Sonos, too valuable of a property not to be taken out. Guy Adami. Pan American Silver. Silver in the name, gold in its revenue stream, Mel. Pass. The ticker, that is. All right, you out there, do not move. We have got another hour of Fast Money coming your way. It is total request Fast Money. We're taking your questions and getting you some answers, so stick around for that. And welcome to a special hour of Fast Money. Jim Cramer is off this week. We're calling, though, this hour Total Request Fast Money. Coming up, the stocks you are trading right now and the answers to all your trading questions. Yes, we are taking questions, so send them on in. Here to tackle all this, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Karen Feinerman. We'll be diving into the recent surge in Tesla. The company has added $50 billion in market cap. That's two Ford Motors since just the start of this month. Is there any limit to where this stock can go? But first... Quick check on the markets here, how we ended the day on Wall Street. Stocks tumbling today with the Dow dropping nearly 400 points. S&P 500 snapping a five-day win streak. Banks were under pressure. Boeing was the biggest drag on the Dow. So what were the day traders buying and selling in today's market slide? Let's get to Leslie Picker with the leaderboard. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. No surprise here. Tesla topping the charts with a net increase of 18,700 accounts holding Tesla stock on the Robinhood platform today. Another electric vehicle manufacturer, Neo, popped up in the top five. Third and fourth place were Sunrun and Vivint Solar, which announced a more than $3 billion deal today. Those two compete with Tesla in the solar products industry. Now, Novavax actually saw the second highest number of accounts purchasing its stock on the Robinhood platform. The biotech company announced today that it was awarded a $1.6 billion deal with the U.S. government uh, to fast track its COVID vaccine candidate. Over the last week, though, electric vehicles really in focus here with Tesla, Neo, Plug Power, and Solo seeing a combined net increase of nearly two. 100,000 accounts purchasing shares through Robinhood. Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker with the leaderboard. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you think uh, these names tell you about the overall markets? Well, they, they certainly print frothy. I, you know, the retail investors and traders don't want to hear us, uh, you know, poo-pooing some of these moves. People are making a lot of money uh, in some of these names. Uh, the, the, the look at solar, for example, this, this has been some run by Sunrun. And if you, and if you look at uh, some of the trends that are born out of COVID and some of the trends that are born out of just, uh, you know, better kind of global ecological awareness, this is a, a trend that uh, at times looks very, very interesting. And at times uh, the cost around solar and the ability to actually have uh, feasibility, feasible infrastructure, we've seen this trade before. Um, the, the trade on Tesla, um, you know, the, the new slow in deliveries, slightly better than expected, but still down relative to uh, the plus 500,000 or more that, that at least have been advertised. This has been a story about liquidity. It's been a story about uh, China getting back to you know, production faster, Fremont getting back to production faster. Um, and, and, you know, 
the common thread with all of these, and as you get into vaccines and uh, Novavax, I mean, these are these are valuations that are impossible to quantify. These are momentum names. These are names that that come when people are pushed out the risk curve uh, and when people are actually looking at liquidity cross markets. So difficult for me to find fundamental merit in any of these big moves. Mm -hmm. Um, Solar is the one thematic that I think makes a lot of sense. All right. Let's get uh, straight to the stock lighting up your screens. Tim had mentioned it. Tesla, an explosive run there. The EV maker up more than 40 percent in the past five sessions. It is now bigger than 97 percent of the S&P 500. In fact, anything electric has been on fire. Well, as he mentioned, some of these names as, as topping the leaderboard. Neo, Nikola, Plug, Workhorse, all soaring in the past month. Let's bring back Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend Gene Munster. Gene, great to have you with us. Um, Thank you. Froth, momentum, you know, these are some of the words that could be associated with this run in Tesla. Could there be a fundamental story here? I mean, if you take a look at the EV space, there is a scarcity of names. There's a scarcity value, isn't there, in Tesla? And while its competitors are pairing back on R&D when it comes to EVs, isn't that to Tesla's benefit? Uh, there is a scarcity value, and particularly even though the other automotive companies have EVs, they're really not making an impact in the market share. It's a very clear decision for consumers. Tesla has about 80% market share. We can also fast forward to five or 10 years from now, and there will be much, many more electric cars, about 3% of total cars sold globally today are electric, but undoubtedly that number will go to 100% at some point in the future. It's just simply a better way to move around, and Tesla has an advantage. And I think when you look at Tesla's current $260 billion market cap, look at it relative to the rest of the auto industry, it's hard to fathom why it can go higher. But I think that the uh, perspective about this as a growth company, take away the uh, previous view of this as an auto company and look at this as a perspective of what the potential growth rate is, the scarcity value. This company can grow at 30 or 40% for the next five plus years. If it grows at 40% for the next five years, that's $200 billion in revenue. And that would imply at a 20% operating margin, which with their software, they presumably could get there, much more than any auto company. So there's not a parad- uh, an analog there. But that's uh, $40 billion in operating income. And you can uh, start to scale together a multiple on that, that uh, you could build a case that this name can go much higher. I do caution it is going to be a roller coaster. There's a lot of traders in and out of this name. But I think that long term, uh, the the scarcity value and more importantly, the advantage that they have on the other automotive companies is still underappreciated in Tesla's valuation today. So, Gene, it's Guy. Thanks for being here again. So this is more a thematic question. Adam Jonas, Morgan Stanley, I think he's a wonderful analyst. I'm sure you know him. Do analysts get squeezed from time to time? Obviously, traders do, and you've seen that in the move to the upside in Tesla. Adam Jonas raises price target today, I think the 740 bull case 2070. Is that a phenomenon that takes place? And if so, are we seeing it manifest itself in Tesla right now? There can be some of that. Being an analyst is a, a difficult job. Uh, I can speak from personal experience there. Uh, maybe just about some of uh, the comments, his comments today related to that, that Tesla will burn a billion dollars in cash in the June quarter. Uh, I am. I uh, would just point out that there are uh, there's about uh, 8,200 uh, cars that were made in the March quarter that will be delivered in the June quarter. That's positive for free cash flow, and they had a lot of materials that were uh, purchased in the March quarter 
that ultimately weren't used until the June quarter. So they didn't have to buy as much materials in the June quarter. My sense is that they will be free cash flow positive in the June quarter. I realize that that is outsized. I, what I think it speaks to is the Tesla story is complicated because of all the legacy uh, muscle memory around this being an auto company, but also the mechanics of some of the things we just talked about, about trying to understand and uh, trying to grapple with free cash flow. And so, uh, yes, it uh, can be uh, uh, being a sales analyst is, is, is difficult. But I think in this case, um, the analysts that are kind of holding on to price targets that are much lower, uh, they may get a break and the stock may fall uh, for some time back to that. But I think that the long term undeniable truth here is that cars are going to be electric in the future. And it is difficult for other automotive companies to catch up. Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being here for the second hour of Fast Money. Question for you. Do you know, well, how do you think about the autonomous driving, the taxi business for Tesla? We don't put uh, much into it today. Ultimately, uh, we believe that uh, EVs, uh, autonomous vehicles, are also going to be an important part of the future and that Tesla will have a role in that. And so when we think about Tesla's play initially, uh, Tesla owners probably aren't going to want to open their cars up uh, to some sort of a ride-sharing network. Uh, this isn't typical of a, a Tesla owner. But what we do think will happen is that uh, we could see the company help finance uh, third parties that basically think of mom-and-pop businesses that own 10, 15 Teslas that uh, uh, insert them into Tesla's network. So they're effectively uh, participating in building that. When you put it together, Karen, I think that Tesla will have a play in robo-taxis. Uh, I don't think about that in that uh, growth rate number that I had for 30 to 40% for the next five years. But I think that that part of the story is real, uh, despite the debate uh, around it. Gene, good to see you. Thank you. For the second time. Gene Munster, Loot Ventures. Um, <laughs> Guy, I thought your point was interesting. I mean, we had J.P. Morgan raise its price target yesterday to $295, right? We had uh, yeah. a new, we had the, the bull case from Morgan Stanley today uh, from Adam Jonas uh, with the stock in the 2000s. Wedbush is at 2000. Um, I mean, the analysts are all over the place. And that seems like that could be yeah. opportunity for traders. It could be opportunity. I mean, it's it's been obviously perilous for a lot of people. I mean, we've had it done a good job, done a bad job. I can speak from personal uh, history with Tesla. But I'll say this, and I've, I've said this now for a while. I go back to the Joe Kernan interview at Davos with President Trump. Um, that was a turning point for the stock without question in terms of some of the answers he gave. I think the stock was trading around 300 then. And then I go to May when the stock was trading 700. I think at the time... You know, after a huge move to the upside, when Elon Musk tweeted out that his stock was too expensive, I'm paraphrasing, that sell-off lasted about a day. And this, you see where the stock is today. So impervious to bad news, you stay the course. Uh, and it pains me to say it, but that's been the right method of trading the stock now for quite some time. I mean, Tim, I know that for Tesla, you have been against the stock on valuation and for many other reasons over the course of time. But, I mean, in terms of the scarcity value, if you want to participate in the EV revolution, call it that if you're a bull on this, there aren't too many places to go. Yeah. We showed you a screen of all the companies benefiting from this sort of trend. The Neos, the Nikolas, the Plug Power, and, and Tesla is perhaps the best capitalized of the bunch. 
Yeah, th look, the scarcity value makes a lot of sense. It was actually kind of refreshing to hear Gene talk about the, the upside and defend a valuation that was purely based upon it being a car company, though, um, because that's rare. It's, it's usually an opportunity for people to talk about data and technology. Um, but, but yes, the scarcity value of, of EV is there. I, I do believe uh, competitors are able to close the gap. Maybe Tesla has a huge head start. They're not going to be anywhere near the market share that they are today. But, but you, you still have to get back to some issues about... Uh, the the free cash flow or lack thereof of the company, their ability to make these cars profitably, which I think is still uh, in question. I think a lot of this move is 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 mania. I think a lot of this move is not based in fundamentals. Um, the the short interest has gone from 25 percent in May of 2019, roughly to about you know seven and a half. So no question, painful, painful, painful run. A lot of short squeezes out there. Um, and, and news flow that for the last three quarters has been pretty good. In fact, uh, I believe if they can get to U.S. gap profitability for another quarter, that gets them uh, you know, into some of the S&P indices that's, mm -hmm. that would also bring, bring more liquidity. So um, I, just very difficult rationalization on, on valuation ever. Um, good technology, if not great technology, um, that has had a lot of issues on, on operations. So. Um, but it's, it's been an extraordinary run. There's no disputing that. And, and certainly, uh, uh, I acknowledge that. I, I have, uh, an idea, Karen, that, uh, you cannot get behind the valuation on any measure, but mm -hmm. at least with interest rates remaining this low, if you are a believer in future growth that Tesla embodies, can you make more of a case in being in names like a Tesla? Well, you certainly can if you compare. See, I don't want to get in trouble to would my rather my would I rather myself, but I have to because I'm looking at something like a Nikola. I can't get behind that in any metric of negative interest rates, or I, I can't even come up with some. It just doesn't compute. You can get there on Tesla, right? They have a real product. They make it. They whatever ninety-seven thousand cars less, whatever it is. Right. There's something real there. That's sort of so Nikola is a very different story than having something real there. Um, but if you have to be in the space and, and look, remember, we used to talk not that long ago about severe financing problems for yeah. Tesla. And that is gone right now. That risk is absolutely gone. So in that if if, if I had to choose one, definitely Tesla. All right. Total Request Fast Money is just getting started. Up next, we're breaking down the action surrounding one of the hottest stocks of day traders today. It's a name we brought you at the top of the show. More on Novavax's 31% rally. And later, it's the only way for traders to play the space race. But has Virgin Galactic been grounded after a stellar run? We'll bring you the trade and come right back. Welcome back to Total Request Fast Money. We're taking your questions throughout this hour. Our first question tonight is on a Red Hot Biotech stock. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm a 24-year-old investor from New York. I recently invested when the market bottomed in late March. My question today is about Novavax. They develop and discover vaccines. Today they're up about 38%. And I'm just wondering if you think this growth can continue long term. Thank you very much. Yeah, that big stock pop uh, because of some big news today on Novavax. Let's get to Meg Terrell for the details. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, the news is that Operation Warp Speed, the Trump administration's program to fund and accelerate vaccines for COVID-19, 
they've awarded them $1.6 billion in order to fund uh, the late-stage clinical trials of this vaccine from Novavax. Uh, if all goes well, they say they plan to start a phase three trial in the fall involving 30,000 participants. This will also fund and establish the manufacturing with the goal of starting to supply 100 million doses starting in late 2020. Now, this is the largest award from Operation Warp Speed yet. Previously, they'd awarded $1.2 billion to AstraZeneca and Oxford in May, and about half a billion dollars each to Johnson & Johnson and Moderna. Uh, so we talked with CEO Stan Erk this morning, and Melissa, you asked him the question about the stock and what this award and this program means for them and what it means for the stock. And here's what he told us. We have a platform from which we make uh, multiple vaccines in the, in the coronavirus. What the coronavirus uh, does is it moves up the timetable for us to have revenue, and, and uh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, but but I like to remind everybody that we just had a major phase three pivotal trial in flu. And, and I think everybody knows that there, there's an established flu vaccine market, but the flu vaccines don't work as well as we would like them to be. And, and our goal is to have a differentiated, better flu vaccine. So just a little context on this stock. This is a four-year chart taking us back through 2016. Check out where this stock was four years ago, way higher. At the end of 2016, it took that huge plunge, and that's when it had this massive failure on a vaccine program for RSV. And we did talk with Stan Erk uh, about that this morning. The stock now has come back, and it did show that promising data and flew earlier this year. But what he is trying to emphasize is that this company has a platform technology for multiple vaccines. And what's happening with COVID is it's sort of accelerating uh, that platform toward the market, Mel. So basically, Meg, in, in layperson's term, platform meaning uh, it, it, these vaccines use the same mechanism. And so if you can expedite getting the COVID vaccine to market on a commercial basis, that also speeds up the commercialization and approval of the flu vaccine, which they had already been working on. Yes, or at least it proves the technology um, mm -hmm. sooner. Um, so whether or not it actually uh, speeds up getting that, that vaccine to market, it the bullish theory on it is that it proves that the platform works. But they have not had a, com a commercial product yet, correct? Nothing is, nothing is on they the market. Have, they, no, that, that big RSV failure uh, was one of the ones they got closest. And now they have that flu data as well. But COVID has leapfrogged everything just because the pandemic is changing timelines so much. All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell on Novavax. So uh, let's get back to Trader Mike in New York. Um, is this a good bet long term? Guy, you know, when we were preparing on Squawk Box for that interview with the CEO of Novavax, I noticed that in mid-March, Novavax was an $8 stock. It then went to 79 now well north of 79 with today's pop. Um, it's had a spectacular move. Remarkable move. And now it has a $6 billion market cap. But the answer to my question, there's a, there's a saying in sports gambling, I know Dave Portnoy is probably watching, uh, they don't pay at halftime. And what that means in, in this, in this uh, example is there's a long way to go from phase three trial in the fall to getting a vaccine across the finish line. So if you've in any way enjoyed this move in Novavax to, I think, 104 or so today, keep in mind today, I think it traded 28 million shares. I think it typically trades about 9 million shares. You had a huge volume day. I'd be running to take money off the table, understanding <laughs> 
that it could probably go higher. But this, to me, is a gift if you long the name. I mean, con- to continue this metaphor, investors aren't just paying uh, you know, these stocks at half, they're paying every quarter. And then if you can even just use another, they're paying every inning because every single positive headline, it seems, pushes all of these stocks higher, well, Tim. Yes, but we can't mix our metaphors. I know, now, that's why I wanted to separate it. Baseball and football. I, under- I, 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 I understand <laughs> I, that, I know mister. you know because... Because you're a bigger sports fan than Guy is. And, and actually, I did get paid out at halftime on my Super Bowl pool. So I, I would disagree with your ability. But I understand what Guy's saying. Um, and, and the move from 4 to 104, um, uh, some of this is a function of the efficacy of the rest of their platform and the pulling forward and the lack of the burn. Um, and, you know, this bar to funding is notable. Um, but this is not a sector where, uh, you know, I, I chase ideas. Uh, and I think this is a sector where a lot of other investors do. I, I think the, the momentum in the stock at this point, um, you, you can start you know, throwing darts in terms of the size of the addressable market. You can start talking about 100 million doses. You can speculate about what the, the amount they're going to be able to charge is. And that also is a very uh, unknown number and something that we speculated with other drug companies and why the vaccine is a very difficult dynamic right now to even price. So um, I think like the others, I, I would... Uh, in the bottom of the third inning, take my money out at halftime. Karen, I, I don't know where you want to go with these metaphors, but it's all yours. <laughs> all right. Well, I agree with both, both of them because I do think if you are lucky enough to own it, great. Take some money off the table for sure. I mean, we've talked about a lot. You know, this is a very, very competitive race to come up with a vaccine. And I don't, I don't begrudge the government, you know, spreading a lot of money around if it can help speed this up. But I can't help but think, okay, it's very, very competitive. Everyone wants to make this literally the most desired product on the earth. Then you have to wonder, what can they charge for it? How can they actually scale a production? How many competitors will there be? And how much money will you make? And what's the chance that they're successful at doing that? So put all of that, you know, all of those if this, if that, and probabilities. And I got to think that with this move today, you're probably it's probably a bit ahead of itself. So I would absolutely take money off the table. I wouldn't want to bet on a Moderna or, or, or Novavax on on any particular one. You know, if you want to be in the space, you know, you could do the biotech ETF. All right. Coming up, we're taking more of your trading questions after a struggling start to the year. Is it time to go short on Coca-Cola? The traders will weigh in on that. But first, a look at where the charts say this red hot day trading stock is going from here. We are back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We talked about some of the hottest stocks among day traders like Tesla and Neo, but that's not all that's on retail's investors' shopping list. Let's break down some of the other popular trades today. Off the charts we go with Todd Gordon of Ascent Wealth Partners. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Um, well, if you want to be day trading in this environment, which we personally don't do, we're, uh, we're investment and portfolio managers, but there is movement in there. And uh, one that we're looking at is Square. Uh, no surprise there. It's a payment processing company. Don't get uh, mistaken with uh, the the uh, website builder Squarespace. This is Square Payment Processing Company. Focuses on small businesses, uh, small merchants. They've been kind of that have been overlooked by sort of the bigger players. Uh, it's an attractive uh, sort of bundled hardware, software kind of package. 
Uh, if you look at the chart, uh, the stock's been a, a big mover in 2016 and 18, but since then it's been really range-bound. Melissa, since uh, October of uh, 18, it was really smacked down uh, in the initial COVID reaction. A lot of fear for small businesses, uh, but they've rebounded quite well. Uh, 2x, I think, year to date, and 3x uh, from those March lows. So a lot of good volatility in there, and I think. You know, we're, we're enthusiastic about that move towards a cashless society as everyone likes to stick the credit cards in and, and touch uh, nothing else. So uh, another one is uh, Square's trying to compete with uh, Venmo and Zelle and the person-to-person -person, uh, payment systems. So uh, take a look at there. It's wildly expensive. I think it's like 11 times sales, 55 billion uh, market cap. So, you know, if it wants to get up through 85, fine, and up to 110, ultimately, we can, we can, uh, we can certainly uh, talk there. Um, the next one we'll take a look at is Uber. Uh, we like we like Uber, but we're not you know generally optimistic longer term. It's trading in here, uh, but it's not so much as an investment idea. Uh, we think the fallout of COVID nineteen is going to be with us. I think longer than we like, and I think uh, ride share is down about eighty percent since April. So people are not willing to jump in other people's uh, car. So their ride hailing business is off, and also their Uber Eats uh, food delivery business has been a, has been a big big loser. Uh, to the chart, the stock is kind of gyrating around the 200-day moving average. Uh, the average range is falling away. So, so if you are wanting intraday movement, you're you're seeing that become less and less as a as an active trader, like I used to be. As I'm getting older, I don't day trade anymore. Uh, you really want to see range, but now, uh, you know, it's starting to come away. So, be, be careful in Uber. Uh, you know, there's not so much happening there, and they're they're certainly uh, losing money in their Uber Eats. They're falling into third place with those those delivery uh, those food deliveries. So. Um, the last, no surprise here, let's take a look at Amazon. A company finally got above 3,000 for the first time yesterday. Uh, the monthly chart, I uh, actually don't see channel resistance, that middle line if the chart's up until about 3,700 uh, right now at the current angle of ascent. Uh, I don't want to tell you where the uh, the upper resistance lies. Uh, it's, it's significantly higher. Um, you know, to the weekly chart, guys, we've been range bound since mid 2018. 2200 is a level that you know I was uh, able to speak with you guys multiple times about. We've broken out as resistance. It's now offering support. Um, and if you take a look at the ratio, sort of Amazon and XLY, you're seeing that one is straight up, which indicates a lot of the consumer discretionary, which is XL XLY, is is driven by Amazon and Home Depot. So that's really where the action is there. But uh, we hold Amazon in our portfolios at Ascent, uh, and we continue to be uh, constructive there. All right, Todd, thank you. Good to see you. Todd Gordon, Ascent Wealth Partners. Let's uh, trade some of these names. Karen, Square really jumped out. I mean, we're talking about more than a 20% gain in the past week or so. Right. That seems kind of excessive to me. I mean, Todd did point out that, you know, a lot of their, their small businesses, that's who they originally started this for, that's obviously a difficult place to be right now. We've talked about, you know, Square Cash, which is the Venmo-like. That's, that's good. But I think there's going to be, um, I mean, the valuation here just seems excessive. They built a great business, but I think that a lot of very good growth is already in here. And I don't think it accounts for any pressure on margins that I think we'll see in the payment space. Where do you want to go, Tim? 
I, you know, I, I've been taking some profits in Square over the last couple months, and I wish I'd taken them today um, with the stock, you know, nibbling around 127. It's been, it's been kind of a, a stratospheric last few weeks for, for Square, which is up, you know, over 65% in the last month or the last 30 sessions. Um, the, the cash app, uh, certainly out of COVID, has proven to be a major, major driver. And if you look at gross margins, it, the margins there are high, and they are driving 40% plus growth over the last four or five years, uh, of which they're 25 percent now and expected to be more. So uh, I get it. Um, and I do think it's very, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic. But the, the cross selling on the platform and the stickiness of the platform is part of, uh, you know, this this dynamic that works for Square, especially with the cash app and why um, I think it's driving businesses into possibly even more profitable parts of the platform. Um, trouble with the valuation uh, and if anything still have a position but have taken uh, a lot of profits in the last in the last month which guy of three of uh, Todd's three charts caught your eye uber i thought she gonna ask me where i wanted to go because i was no, gonna say chipotle to get a burrito <laughs> no beans extra chicken that's and it's about that time no, for on. me i don't need Blue to know where special. you want to go no, i'm just telling you <laughs> Uh, Uber, though, I mean, look at the outperformance of Uber today compared to Lyft. That's noteworthy. It hasn't happened in quite some time. In the Would You Rather game, which I'm about to play by myself, Whoa. like Karen did in the 5 o'clock show, thank <laughs> you, I will take Lyft on this weakness and sell Uber. So although Uber stuck out to me, I think the weakness in Lyft gives you an opportunity vis-a-vis Uber. All right, coming up, we've got more questions to answer. For one, is it time to get out of Peloton after its stay-at-home surge, or should you be doubling down? And later, it has been one of the hottest stocks of day traders this summer, but our shares of Virgin Galactic rocketing higher from here. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to this bonus hour of Fast Money. We're calling it Total Request Fast Money, where we're taking your questions. And this next one is about a hot stay-at-home stock. Damon here from Atlanta, Georgia. I actually have a question about Peloton. I was able to invest uh, with the company pretty early on and recently sold. Um, it made a decent return. I was wondering if you think it would be smart to reinvest in the company given the current uh, COVID climate. Karen, what do you say? Well, that's a difficult question. Um, when I hear that, I think, oh, my God, he sold it and he's going to pay taxes and then he wants to get back in. But that's kind of irrelevant. I shouldn't focus on that. Obviously, you know, it's an outstanding product. By the way, if anyone knows how to calculate how they calculate personal record, please tell me because I can't figure it out. Anyway, I think that clearly the stock is here because it has been a gigantic COVID winner. Um, they've created really a fantastic ecosystem and a razor blade business model with the bikes that are expensive and the software. Um, They've done an outstanding job. I just, I wonder if when a vaccine is found uh, that the valuation will, will have to come in. So if you don't think that's happening for a while and you like the name, then you can stay in it. But um, it's just too, one of those, I love the product, can't get behind the valuation. The user base is incredibly sticky, and I don't want to just say sticky because that doesn't really convey the whole thing. Really enthusiasts in terms of the product, and not just owning the bike and, and putting dirty clothes on it. But I think that the average, in a recent initiation note, the average number of workouts per month is 17.7. Imagine 17.7 workouts per 30 days or so, Guy. I mean, that, that tells you about people who own these bikes who really love using the bikes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is a story that we've actually been on for quite some time. And I think to Damon's point, uh, this COVID environment is worked, unfortunately, to Peloton. I say unfortunately because you don't want it to be in this type of situation. But Peloton's been a winner here and people love the bike without question. And I don't think they're going away. I think they're going to stay with it. And I think the stock can go higher. Damon has seller's remorse, which I understand as the stock is flirting with another all-time high. I do think you can get an opportunity to buy it cheaper. You just have to be patient. But both the product and the stock, to me, are fantastic. Tim, you're saying? Yeah, the, look, the connected fitness and the subs dynamic uh, and the recurring revenue stream are all very attractive. And, and if, you, if you extrapolate off of the numbers that we've seen over the last three months, um, you can start to get to some of these valuations. But um, I, I, there, there is competition. And, and I realize there actually is a, a bit of a mode. If you listen to Cowan, they talk about this is really a, a vertically integrated story. And they talk about, first of all, world-class hardware, um, which is something that is, is in its own, uh, something that, that creates kind of this ecosystem around which obviously then leads to the connected subs and the service-based revenue. Um, but, you know, 17.2 or whatever, how many times guy a month uh, puts on his spandex and rides his bike, um, that's because people are trapped at home. I, I think a lot of people, I prefer to get out of the house and go to the gym. So, you know, ultimately, um, that is something I will do. Uh, I think there's a lot of fitness enthusiasts that at any cost will wave in that type of fitness. And I, and I think it's, you know, that's a wonderful thing. But that, that's not a sustainable trend. Uh, I think you're going to get your shot to buy this lower. I believe it was the dean of valuation, Karen, who um, often comes on Fast Money, who, who made the point that it's not just the, the expensive bike, but if they can move eventually to an all-subscription model when it comes to software, that's actually a very high-margin business. And so you're talking about a different business model, but that could be sort of the pivot that brings Peloton from where it is now to a higher valuation. It could. I mean, that, that could definitely happen. I don't know if you, I know you like the product as well. When you look at the classes, you know, when I first started on Peloton, there would be like 3,200 people in a class or whoever took it. Mm -hmm. Now there's classes that are 98,000 people. So obviously they've done a great job of expanding their, I mean, that total addressable market, I guess, is bigger than I thought. I get the software part of it uh, that can't argue with the margins there. I just... I don't know how much of that is already baked in. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Good point there. Coming up, McDonald's faces plenty of risk from the COVID shutdowns. But one viewer wants to know what is in store for the long term. We'll get some answers and be sure to keep your questions coming. We'll be answering them all week long. Yes, all week. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We're back right after this. Our special edition of Fast Money continues, and our traders are tackling some of your questions throughout this hour. Next question, a supersized investment idea. I'm Sam from South Carolina. I have 25 years to dedicate to the market. I want to know, is McDonald's a long-term hold? I know it's a solid dividend player, but I want to know, for 25 years, 20 to 25 years, is it worth holding? Thank you. That's a long time frame. Tim, you've been in and out of McDonald's? I, I'm not in it for 25 years, but I love Sam's approach. And, and I think as, as we're talking to a retail audience that is trying to find companies that are going to be here today and possibly even somewhat opportunistic, uh, McDonald's has found a way through drive through culture and whatnot to get through COVID-19. But um, ultimately, this is a great balance sheet. It is a 2.6% dividend yield. And having a horizon investment in McDonald's, which has uh, incredible uh, iconic trademark, but also IP, um, I think for a company that's evolving with consumer uh, you know, nutrition tastes. And I think they showed a great pivot 
uh, in terms of becoming more healthful minded and their online and their loyalty programs and the kiosks. Um, I, I, I do like McDonald's. Why shouldn't McDonald's compete in this world where some of the other fast food players have really taken the next step? This is arguably the most, you know, the, the big the biggest brand in, in the space. They've invested in their stores. They invested in, in the digital strategy. And at least for right now, Karen, they're pretty well positioned with the number of drive throughs they operate. Yeah, I mean, I've been impressed with this company over and over again, how they've been able to be flexible and adapt to, I mean, Tim talked about be becoming more helpful. They were early on in digital. They do have the drive through. I mean, and, and the way they've really been able to, you know, make cafe, right? I, they, they just again and again are always innovating. And I think, um, you know, with rates here, the multiple, while high, isn't crazy for a really quality premier company like this one. So I would say, yes, this is one for the long term. Yes, yeah, Sam, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I agree. I mean, the stock's given you an opportunity. This was a $225 stock at its all-time high. It's trading in the 180s now. So you're not buying a stock at an all-time high. I can speak from experience. My man Tony and I, when many, many years ago, there was a walk-up drive-through in the city, and we ordered 23 wait, cheeseburgers. Wait, wait. There's no literally such thing as a walk-up drive You mean you walked up to a no, drive-through? There's I'm, no walk-up drive-through. It's called a drive-through because you drive through It's a walk-up window. What? Whatever. 23 cheeseburgers, and oh. I got to tell you something. We, we, we knocked those suckers down before we got back to my apartment. I won't tell you the aftermath because it's not that interesting. But, you know, you don't, you're not going to McDonald's to eat healthy. You're going to McDonald's to govone a couple cheeseburgers, have a large fry, and maybe a chocolate shake. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Who is this, Tony Soprano and Gavone and some cheese? I mean, you know, look, the, 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 the bottom line with McDonald's, though, is that this appeals to the full spectrum, uh, whether it's Guy and, and, and Tony uh, or whether it's actually, you know, the full demographic spectrum. I, I actually believe that that's part of what McDonald's has been able to recreate. And, and their infrastructure and their stores, their same store sales growth in the U.S. Um, was, you know, north of five, six percent before COVID. Um, I think we'll get back there. And, uh, um, you know, 13 is my limit on cheeseburgers. <laughs> Mine? All right. Next question comes from Matthew. And I, I like Egg McMuffins. Next question comes from Matthew oh, in I Michigan. Hey, guys, how are you? This is Matthew from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my question is, what do you guys think about Coca-Cola? And do you think it's the right move to short against? Short Coca-Cola? Hmm, guy. Well, I mean, the time to short it was obviously, you know, five, six months ago when the stock was making move to the upside. And when people, you know, the, the world is getting away from the sugary drinks. But at this level, I'm hard-pressed to believe the right move is shorting a name like Coca-Cola. Pepsi trades at a premium valuation, but it trades that way because it has obviously the whole snacks. I, I would be more inclined to own Coke here than short, in my opinion. If you think things are going to stay closed for longer or will reclose, meaning sports venues, bars and restaurants, Tim, maybe this is a decent short. Maybe it sees some more trouble ahead. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a short. Um, and uh, again, I would put this in Sam's long term portfolio. I think you're buying Coke at, at, uh, at, at a cheap multiple because of the dynamics you talk about. They're very real issues. But we we will be in stadiums and restaurants again. Um, Coca-Cola also 
has recreated this brand around vitamin water and other drinks. It's not a CSD story. It's a CPG story. I mean, a consumer product story. Uh, this is a sophisticated global company uh, that's you know, dealt with all their bottlers and refranchised and ultimately um, brought the structure to a leaner uh, capital structure. I-, I think Coke is very well positioned for the next 10 years, and, and I would be buying this weakness. Karen? I would think if you were an analyst, Mel, I think you would say, yeah, meh, right? Neither are short. To me, it's not really a long either. I'm concerned about sort of the water business in that sort of somewhat fading. But it's a great, great, great franchise. I wouldn't short it. And it could muddle along. I mean, it's it survived, you know, pandemics before and everything that the market could throw at it for, I don't know, 100 years, I think. So I wouldn't be short this one, nor would I be long it. Just Listen, meh. It's a match. We call that uh, in the business a match. match. And I will tell you, in terms, in terms of the actual drink, and this is just a would you rather myself, much rather Coca-Cola than Pepsi. Now, clearly, I won't be doing oh, any Pepsi ads in the near future. But if Coca-Cola wants to reach out, I am available uh, for a price. What's I, I really think interesting that is diet that people- Pepsi is one of the, it's underrated. Just saying, it's underrated. I know it's not the go-to drink about, in a lot of stadiums, theaters, whatever. got a whatever. tab for me? Remember those? A that that was an awful, awful <laughs> drink. But um, it, it's funny. People tend to line up Coke, Pepsi, McDonald's, Burger King, um, and, and uh, Stone's Who. So there you go for what that's worth. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, tab, that's like what they drank in Three's Company. Tim, tab. I mean, I haven't heard tab brought up in a sentence. Do they still make it? That's what I want to know. All right, coming up. We've got time for another viewer question. We'll get the desk thoughts on Virgin Galactic and the special hour Fast Money. We're back in two. Welcome back. We've got a news alert on the movie theater chain AMC. The Wall Street Journal saying they are near a deal to stave off bankruptcy. You see the stock on the move in the after-hour session up by almost 4%. Um, Guy Adami, we have heard about plans to reopen, uh, plans to not require face masks, them going back on the face masks. Uh, but the longer all of this takes, the harder it is for this company to survive. Yeah, I mean, they got a lifeline here, clearly. Um, but... Think, you know, you have to ask yourself, is the first thing you do uh, when, when the dust settles and hopefully this all gets cleared up is go to the run to the movies? People weren't going to the movies before COVID. And now you have to really wonder, are people going to be racing back? I mean, the business model is flawed. So although this is a lifeline for the stock, you know, I don't see any compelling reason to buy this here looking for, you know, a 15 or 20 percent move. Karen? Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I don't know that people are going to rush back, but also remember the other side of business is changing in that movie, uh, dis- the companies that make the movies, production companies, don't feel that they have to go to theaters anymore the same way that they used to. That was sort of a, a, a monumental change. So I don't know. I, I wouldn't be in this space right now. Yeah, the stock is absolutely soaring after hours. It's up by 19%. We should note that 31% of the shares outstanding are short. So we are looking at a short squeeze in progress, Tim. Still, you said, you said we will go back to stadiums. We will go back to restaurants. Won't we go back to the movies? We will. But again, I think the movie theater, uh, kind of the, some of the secular 
dynamics for that industry changed, you know, five years ago. And I think streaming and, and if anything, you know, we've also you know, heard about Amazon uh, picking over uh, this sector and seeing where they may want to do a deal with an AMC. So um, that makes more sense to me as a lifeline, as a real lifeline. Um, but there's no question that that uh, uh, it's been a sad story for for movie theaters around the country. And, and um, they didn't need this because they were already suffering. And I think this is uh, a story that I, I don't think you're you're buying this great news uh, even after this lifeline after hours. All right. Up 21 percent right now. Let's get to another viewer question. The next one is an out of this world idea. Hey there. My name is Andrew Chestnut from Santa Cruz, California, and the stock ad in mine was Virgin Galactic. I've been a big fan of it, and I just want to know your thoughts on it. All right. Thank you. All right. I don't know. Tim, want to take this one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, not to be confused with Joey Chestnut, who seems to win the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating <laughs> Contest every year. Did he win it this year, by the way? Did he I win don't it? know. Did they he? did, yes, have, did. did like have the 77. contest. Oh, 70, that's it? 77, I think. Yeah. Crazy. Unbelievable. And he's super skinny. So, sorry really, about that, yeah. Mr. Ch- Mr. Chestnut. I, I, the story around um, Virgin Galactic is one where, uh, again, thematic. Uh, there, there are investors for this story, and I think the stock has a baseline. I think the profitability and, and space travel um, is, is a very difficult call here. Um, this stock, uh, to me, in a market where you have excess liquidity and momentum and idea stocks, this why not? Um, Sir Richard Branson, I've got all all the faith in the world on this guy's ability to run a business and actually build a brand. Um, so so why not? People want to invest in space. I, I just don't know where the profitability here is. And, and I just don't know when you're going to see that. So this is not something I would ever be buying on fundamentals. But I think the stock has a baseline. I mean, we're, we're talking at the top of the show about Tesla being one of these idea stocks right in the scarcity yep. value. I mean, talk about scarcity value. There aren't too many ways to play. Uh, flights to space guy. I mean, there there just aren't. So if you believe in that, that's your ticket, literally. Well, your entry point's obviously a lot better than it was a few months ago. This was a $42 stock literally going to space, and now it's, I think, 17 or so. So your entry point (laughs) is good. I mean, the way I play space is I go to Blockbuster and I rent Apollo 13 and then I come home and have the rest of those 23 cheeseburgers. I mean, that's as close as I'm getting to, to, to going outer space. You know what I mean? Are you renting on Betamax? <laughs> that's what I'm imagining. Laser I mean, it doesn't, Laser doesn't everyone? Yeah. All right. Um, let's get to another question. This is via tweet. Dorothy uh, tweets, great div- dividend on AT&T. Beaten down and no one talking. Please discuss pros and cons in this COVID market. Karen, what did you say about AT&T? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I mean, that you know, we were worried about their debt not that long ago, and they sort of were able to kind of escape that by refinancing. And um, interesting to me that, you know, sometimes we talk about how are media companies not looking at buying gaming? In fact, AT&T is looking to sell theirs. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't know what to make. Not crazy expensive. It wouldn't be a crazy thing to own. But it doesn't jump out at me as a must-have right now either. Tim, you've owned this. I've owned it. I still own it. Uh, I don't love the price action in this. I, I do think that the, the lower rate environment has allowed them to, to cut their cost of capital. 
uh, and their cost of financing. I, I think the, the assets on the media side, you know, and, and extracting and unlocking that some of the parts value that seem to be there um, has been really tough. Uh, HBO launches a, a streaming service into a very crowded field, even though uh, they have an incredible, uh, you know, incredible line and an incredible history of producing top shows. So um, I stay long. Look, I, we always say this. I, I can hear Karen echoing in my ear as you, know, you never buy a stock for a dividend. But but I, I will say in this environment, um, this isn't a, a you know, perfect balance sheet, but it's a balance sheet that's been able to fortify itself dramatically. And, and let's be clear, staying at home and, and wireless and some of the, the core business are alive and well and very, very strong. And this is a massive dividend play for people that are, want to buy a company that will be here for the long term. And I believe AT&T absolutely will be here. So um, I stay long. Fun show, Guy. Lots of stuff. Would you rather? We hit a bunch of questions. You know, we're going to do this all again tomorrow. Sure. Coca-Cola. I mean, fantastic. Guys, thank you. Guy, Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman. And thank you out there for watching. We will be back, as I mentioned, tomorrow for another supersized edition of this show. We're taking questions, so please send them in to at CNBC Fast Money. We'll see you back tomorrow, 5 o'clock for Fast. Shark Tank is up next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.